This is The Guardian. I'm Laura Murphy-Oates, and this is The Full Story. During this election campaign, both the Prime Minister and the opposition leader have been asked about the National Disability Insurance Scheme with controversial results. Jenny and I have been blessed. We've got two children that don't haven't had to go through that. And so for parents with children who are disabled, I can only try and understand. Yesterday, you talked about Labor's six-point plan. What are the six points? The, the six points are what we will do in terms of was outlined by Bill Shorten. What that's about is making sure... What, what, what that's about is making... the six what, points, Mr. Well, if you let me answer the question. What that's about is making sure that we take pressure off people who are... Behind these headline-grabbing moments are serious questions about the future of this scheme. People with disability all over Australia say their disability supports are being cut and the process to appeal those decisions is weighted against them. Separately, the government has previously claimed that costs are rising and the scheme needs to be more sustainable. But during the campaign, they've reiterated that they are committed to fully funding the program while Labor says they will overhaul the scheme to make it fairer. So, what is happening with the NDIS right now? And what will these policies mean for its future? Today, the future of the NDIS after the election. It's Monday, the 16th of May. Hey, Luke. How you going? G'day. Luke Enriquez-Gomes is Guardian Australia's Social Affairs and Inequality Editor. Good, how are you? So, Luke, during this election, the NDIS has been discussed quite a bit. There's a campaign called Every Australian Counts that's against cuts to the NDIS. Scott Morrison's faced some questions about it. I'm wondering if we can go through how we got here, starting at the very start, with how the NDIS began. So the NDIS was set up by the former Prime Minister Julia Gillard in 2013. In years to come, Disability Care Australia will ensure Sophie and Sandy and so many other young people with disability will have the security and dignity every Australian deserves. You might remember she actually cried when she introduced legislation to Parliament. In March, we gave it a place in our nation's laws. Today... We inscribe it in our nation's finances. And the idea was to support people with disability and their families and carers and sort of replace the tangle of underfunded and unfair and inefficient services that previously gave people little choice and certainty over their care. Those were run by the states. There will be launches, not trials. Permanent care, not temporary help. And there will be no turning back. I commend this bill to the House. So the idea was that the NDIS would cover the large costs of lifetime care and support for people with a significant and ongoing disability. And in 2011, that was estimated at about 410,000 Australians. And when it was fully rolled out, the scheme was expected to cost taxpayers about $22 billion a year. 
and it would be jointly funded by the federal government and state governments. Mm. And now people have their NDIS support plans reassessed annually by the National Disability Insurance Agency, or the NDIA, and their supports and funding adjusted accordingly. Right. So it was estimated to cost $22 billion a year. What does it cost now? So as it stands in 2022, the cost has increased to $31 billion, um, and according to the government, um, it's on track to hit $64 billion by 2030. And this means that it will overtake Medicare in the next few years. But it is important to, to point out that the cost estimates of the scheme have varied significantly over the past few years. Mm. Um, and so advocacy organisations and, and also the opposition have, have sort of questioned those forecasts. And it's also important to, to note that the scheme has significant economic benefits as well as the social benefits um, that people with disability experience from it. So there was a report by Per Capita last year, which found for every dollar invested in the scheme, um, there was a 2.25 or $2.25 benefit for the economy. Um, and I guess that's on top of the benefit to the economy from people with disability who can participate in the community through work or education or other activities, and those people, many of whom wouldn't be able to do that without the scheme. Mm, so talks of a cost blowout from the government and also I've seen it in some sections of the media might be overblown and also counted by the economic benefits of this scheme. But it is true to say that the NDIS is costing more than they initially predicted per year. Why? Well, there are a few reasons, but the primary one seems to be that there are just more people qualifying for the NDIS than had been originally envisaged. Mm. So as I said, the estimate was for 400,000 people in 2011. There are now 500,000 people who are active participants on the scheme, which is about 2% of the population. Um, and that figure is is expected to increase to about 860,000 by the end of the decade. Mm. So about a year ago, this started to be, I guess, a new narrative coming out of the government in Canberra, um, in particular the new minister for the NDIS, Linda Reynolds. She gave an interview with my colleague Catherine Murphy or our colleague Catherine Murphy who basically said that we needed to make the NDIS more sustainable and in actual fact the costs were much more significant than had originally been thought. So she said, you know, we've got more people coming onto the scheme than we ever thought, mm. packages are more expensive and costs are going up. And she she basically flagged the need for what she, she called, I guess, a conversation about a sustainable pathway for growth um, or otherwise the scheme would not be, um, in her view, viable in the medium or long term. Right. So Linda Reynolds becomes the minister in charge and she says pretty early on we need to have some hard discussions about how this program is funded and the rising cost. What happens from there? It was more about reforms that would, you know, in her words, make the scheme, I guess, more consistent in its decision making. Mm. At the same time this was occurring, the agency established what was, uh, you know, known as the Sustainability Action Task Force, which was quickly dubbed a razor gang by Labor and and, and its critics. Um, and the idea behind that was to slow the growth in spend on participants. Mm. The thing is, we don't really know exactly what this secretive unit did because the agency has sort of declined to, to say exactly. But that, that was something that was set up in about March, April of, of last year. And, and I can't say whether or not those things are linked or not, but a little bit after that, 
advocacy organisations who helped people with disability um, deal with the NDIS and, and challenge decisions to their uh, changes to their packages started noticing this flood of um, requests for help. So the demand just went through the roof. Mm. And, you know, people saying that they'd been having their packages cut by 30, 40, 50% and there have been cases where it's been much more than that and they've basically been flooded um, with requests for help. Do we know how many people on the NDIS have had their plans cut in recent months, in the past year even, and is funding being cut overall? Is it on the decline? So, look, the the NDIA, which runs the NDIS, is right when it says that people's plans are expected to go up and down. That's because their needs are going to change. And we do know people are having their plans cut, and it's kind of unclear whether or not on a sort of national level that's more or less than in the past. But we do know that the the more serious cases that are ending up with the advocacy organisations anecdotally are are really significant. Um, If you look at the overall data, in 2021, there was a 4% um, reduction in the average plan size compared to previous years. Um, And so some people say that that shows that, you know, overall plans are being reduced. Mm. However, the most recent data, which came out uh, this month in May showed that that figure had actually ticked up. So it's kind of the national data kind of masks what might be happening on a more micro level, shall we say, amongst individuals. The other factor to to point out, though, is that, you know, in terms of people appealing their cases to what's called the Administrative Appeals Tribunal, which is essentially a sort of last resort place aside from, you know, the federal court to challenge cases, there's been a 400% increase Mm. in those appeals. And that's between, you know, looking at figures from 2021 to January 2022. So that's really, really significant and shows that there are increasing numbers of people who are so frustrated with with their decisions, they're willing to go through that process. So there is some evidence to indicate that We're seeing quite a few people have their plans cut over the past year, possibly more than before. This comes off the back of the government saying we need to make the scheme more sustainable. Is that why we're seeing these cuts? Are the government trying to cut down on the scheme overall? Well, the government has insisted that things are normal and Linda Reynolds, the the minister, points out correctly that the government's providing record funding um, and, and the overall funding or spending on the scheme is is increasing significantly. So the government is saying nothing to see here. What about the individual cases that are getting cuts? Are they being told why their funding is being cut? In the individual cases, people often say that they don't get a, a reason for why their plans are being taken away. Mm. Once you challenge a decision, you can get a bit more information about why it's being cut. And some of the, the phrases based on the the legislation that keep coming up are things like particular funding is not value for money uh, or that it's a parental responsibility. That's some of the language that's coming through that the advocacy organisations are, are noting. So it seems like something has changed, but it is unclear exactly what that is. Are there any overarching trends to the types of cases that are having cuts to their funding? Well, Labor, for example, is adamant that there are cuts to um, the packages of children with autism. And you might remember in the in the debate, uh, the first leaders' debate. Hello. I have a four-year-old autistic son. 
We are grateful to receive funds through the NDIS. There was a mother with an autistic child who said her, her son's package had been significantly cut. But I've heard many stories of people having their funds cut recently under the current government, including our own. We've had our funding cut by 30% at his first review with no, no reason why. And so that story is increasingly common. And the situation there is that it's children who have access to early intervention um, and the idea being after that intervention, um, they will need less services. Mm. But in some cases, parents believe that that support's been taken away too quickly. Christopher Coombs of the consulting group Team DSC um, who got some FOI documents about the NDIS legal spending. Um, and he says that some of the hardest hit areas in terms of cuts are people with high support needs who don't want to live in group homes, cuts where people want uh, sort of one-on-one support from a support worker all the time, and then also, as I mentioned, cutbacks to intensive therapies for children. Right. Some of these supports sound like they would make a pretty big impact on someone's lives. I mean, what has happened as a result of these funding cuts for people that you've spoken to? So um, it varies because it depends on what supports are being taken away, I suppose. Mm. You know, I spoke to a man called Ian and his partner and Ian's got motor neuron disease um, and he had uh, 24-hour nursing care because um, if he... um, had problems with his tracheotomy, he basically could die. And the the problem there is that, you know, without that support, the family's seriously considering taking him back to hospital so he wouldn't be able to live with his um, family at home anymore. There's also Sarah um, in WA who was worried she might have to quit her job because her 11-year-old autistic son's um, funding had been cut by 70%. Mm. I spoke to another family in Queensland, a mother and a daughter, both had disabilities, and the mother's package was cut initially and then the daughter's package was cut, the support worker hours, and and the idea was that the um, mother would be able to provide more support to the daughter because it was a parental responsibility, but the, the mother herself had um, disabilities and her support work and funding being cut meant that she was less able to, to provide that parental care. I'm speaking with a family at the moment who are a couple in their 70s who um, are going to the Administrative Appeals Tribunal, which I mentioned before, for a second time because after winning the funding, they felt that their son, who's in his 40s and lives in a group home, needed. Um, about a year later, that same funding was reduced again, meaning they have to go through the same, you know, quasi-legal process. So, I mean, there are clearly specific uh, life-changing events that can arise from these cuts, but it's also about the constant battle um, in terms of dealing with the bureaucracy that, I guess, arises from this. For example, Peter and Ruth, the elderly couple I mentioned before, they've been battling to get support for their son for so long and then the NDIS came along and they finally got what they needed and then to have to go and, and battle that, you know, through the AAT again, you know, they're just sort of thinking, well, what will happen when we're not here to advocate on behalf of our son? That's kind of their concern. So it's, I guess it's fear-inducing. Um, in the case of parents with children, they feel like their children's opportunities to have the best, you know, shot in life is sort of being whittled away by cuts, particularly to that um, those therapies. 
So yeah, it can it can be fear and, and confusion and frustration, all those sorts of things. So you mentioned people can ask for a review of these decisions. Exactly how does that work? And are these cuts being overturned at review? Yeah, they are. So after people appeal to the NDIA, they then go to the AAT and there's a sort of mediation process. And if that doesn't work, they go to a hearing. And at the AAT, essentially you've got the government or the NDIA, which hires private legal representation and a situation where people with disability might be represented by an advocate, um, usually not a solicitor, and in many cases they're not represented. And these people will essentially battle against solicitors from top law firms contracted by the government. Um, the data does show that in uh, you know in a majority of cases, um, when a case does go to the AAT, it's changed in some way, but the process is really drawn out um, and takes months and in some cases years. Right. So people end up essentially going to court or a form of a court and are fighting against a, a private law firm. And as you mentioned, these cases have increased by 400% recently. I mean, what is this like for people going through this process? People say that it can be very traumatic um, and advocates also say that it can be a little bit combative, um, I suppose, as well. Yeah. And at the same time, the the agency is spending um, more and more money on hiring external legal advice or representation. So it's about $30 million um, in this financial year that they've spent on, on those funds. In the case of one lady, one mum I spoke to, Angela, she is a single mum. Both her children have um, what's called spondyloocular syndrome, which sort of means um, they have got incredibly brittle bones, so much so that they can experience fractures, even, you know, rolling over in bed the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Angela's son, Toby, spent his last uh, few months battling for some of the supports that the family felt that they needed. So that was things like registered nurse care to provide the medication um, which could only be provided by a nurse or by Angela, not by disability support workers, and then other services like psychology and physiotherapy. So that was something that had, you know, been first requested a couple of years ago, but then they found themselves at the AAT starting in October, and that was a long, drawn-out process which didn't conclude because Toby died before there was any decision made on the supports that he needed. However, there is no suggestion his death was caused by the cuts or the appeal delays. How old was Toby, sorry? Toby was 23. Next, the party's plans for the future of the NDIS. So, Luke, there's a few big problems here, it sounds like. On the one hand, there is a claim from the government that costs are blowing out in the NDIS. And on the other hand, there are claims that people are having really important supports cut and they're having to wade through a tough review process and essentially fight the government in court to get it restored. What is the plan here from the major parties for the future of the NDIS after the election? What are they saying during the campaign trail? It's about the early intervention work that needs to be done to help them 
uh, be more able as life goes on. Now, we are fully funding the National Disability Insurance Scheme. So the coalition has said it's going to fully fund the NDIS um, and, and shoulder the increasing costs. It's a difficult scheme to manage because every single person who has a disability is different. There's no cookie-cutter approach to the NDIS. You need to tailor the programs to each and every single individual. And so it's a scheme that is still building and it still has faults. They did talk last year about a, a few changes that they, they wanted, for example, changing the legislation to, to more clearly determine what could be funded and what couldn't be funded. Those plans are on hold and they're not taking anything to the election on that. They also scrapped a, a really unpopular proposal to introduce so-called independent assessments. Now, there was a view among the disability community that those independent assessments were essentially a cost-cutting measure. Um, and so for that reason, they were incredibly unpopular and damaged the relationship between the community and the government really significantly. So they've scrapped that and they're not saying anything about that into the election as well. Right, so very little changes earmarked from the coalition. And as we mentioned, they deny that they're trying to cut people's plans overall. What about Labor? Labor says that the scheme needs to be fixed. We do have a plan to return the National Disability Insurance Scheme back to its original objectives. And the problem is that, that people have been forgotten. They've been taken out of the equation. So, so many uh, people have had uh, their funding cut. That it's a great Labor social reform which has been mishandled in some way by the government. And uh, we uh, will uh, stop the cuts, we'll stop the waste, will improve efficiencies. So it's promised a review to look at some of the issues we've talked about um, and a crackdown on areas it believes um, there has been waste. We, we need to put the human service, humans back into human services. So getting rid of the uh, bureaucracy or adding to no, the bureaucracy? No, no, getting it so they can talk to real people. Right, this is under the six-point plan that became a headline when Albanese couldn't recite all the various points in the plan. Is there anything else significant in that plan that we need to know about? Well, the six points are, you know, for Labor to have an expert review to guarantee plans won't be arbitrarily cut. They're going to lift the staffing um, levels at the agency, which have been subjected to a staffing cap. So it's 380 new staff and costing about $150 million over four years. So they're going to review the external lawyers' fees and consultancy contracts. Um, and also, I guess, to quote Bill Shorten, who's the shadow minister in this portfolio, um, he says he wants to crack down on, on cowboys out there taking advantage of NDIS money. Mm. And when he says cowboys, he's he's mostly talking about NDIS providers who, who might be overcharging um, participants in the scheme. Mm. They say they're going to streamline the planning and appeals process so that um, the decision-making is is more efficient, fair and investment focused and appoint a senior officer within the NDIA to boost service delivery in regional areas, which is a big problem in, in the scheme. It sounds like there are new costs in Labor's plan, like the new staff, but also cuts. They want to cut down on some of the costs of the legal funding at the AAT, it sounds like. Does this address the kind of question of sustainability, which the coalition has made a point of? I, I don't think so. In reality, for example, the funding on um, lawyers is is worth about $30 million this financial year so far, and the scheme's costing more than $30 billion. So that's, a you know, a drop in the ocean in terms of 
any, um, you know, cowboys out there amongst the providers, perhaps overcharging people. We don't know how much that crackdown could actually rake in, but Mm. it probably doesn't address what the government says is, you know, the increasing cost of the NDIS overall. And what about this idea of an alternate and expert review pathway, which Labor says will ensure that people's plans aren't cut arbitrarily or unfairly? Could that help with some of the issues that you've outlined? Um, It certainly could. I mean, I spoke with Bill Shorten about this. It it does seem like um, they've identified this problem, um, which is basically there's an internal review where, you know, the decision-making quality might in some cases still leave a little bit to be desired and then your only option is go to the AAT, which is what we talked about, that combative process. I guess it would depend on what the review system looked like. Bill Shorten has sort of talked about having experts determine these cases in a kind of more of a mediation process rather than what the AAT can be. Should be pointed out, though, that Linda Reynolds um, has been incredibly critical of it. Um, she basically says that it's an additional layer of bureaucracy which would just slow down decisions. So those are sort of the competing points. How has Labor's plan been received by the disability advocacy community? Quite well, I would say. The um, People with Disability Australia released a a statement um, this week saying that they felt the Labor policy was a good comprehensive plan to um, address some of the issues in the NDIS. Other advocacy groups have also backed it and the Provider Peak National Disability Services, which is the peak for the NDIS providers, also says that it's a it's a good policy. Right. And we know the Greens have put forward quite a few policies heading into this election. Have they put forward one for the NDIS? So their plan's called um, Accessible Australia. They're proposing fully resourced NDIS and, you know, also lifting the staff cap at the um, agency running the scheme and making sure that IT systems are accessible for participants. I guess it's also important to note that the Greens and Labor led the campaign to scrap the independent assessments proposal that the government put forward last year. And so I guess part of the Labor and Greens commitment at the election is that they wouldn't support something along those lines. I just think that's important to point out. So it sounds like the future of the NDIS has become a bit of an election issue and there's a lot of conversation about how any sort of reform can balance these ideas of sustainability of this program and the fairness of this program. How are people who rely on this every day feeling about, you know, the possible change ahead after the election? Well, I think people with disability um, are as concerned about the sustainability of the scheme as anybody else, um, more so, in fact, because they rely on it and they fought for it and so they want to protect it. And that's why there's a campaign going on during the election to, quote, unquote, defend the NDIS. I mentioned Peter and Ruth before who are the elderly couple who have um, a son who's had his plan cut and he's in his 40s and lives in a group home. And their concern for the NDIS is what will happen if they pass away, who will advocate for their son if the scheme does change, um, who will be there to to fight for him? And so their story is one of many where people are so desperate for the scheme to, to work for everybody because without it, they're really concerned about what will happen to, to their children or, in the case of NDIS participants, to themselves and the supports that they need. Thank you.
That was Luke Enriquez Gomes, Guardian Australia's social affairs and inequality editor. I do recommend checking out his reporting on this issue where he breaks down a lot of the issues that we've spoken about in this episode and the policies of the major parties, but also just speaks to a lot of people who are on the NDIS about their experience of it, including the people that were mentioned in this episode. We've put a link to some of the most relevant pieces on the Full Story page. Regarding Toby's case, which was mentioned earlier in this episode, an NDIA spokesperson said the agency expressed its deepest condolences to Toby's family and recognises the exceptionally difficult circumstances of this case. They further say that all NDIA planning decisions are made in accordance with the NDIS Act and the NDIA fully respects a participant's right to request a review of any decisions made. It is important to note in this case, the NDIS provided substantial funding of close to $400,000, including some home modifications to assist Toby in his home. This episode was produced by Ellen Lee Beta and Laura Briley-Newton. Mixing and sound design by Joe Koning. The executive producers of Full Story are Miles Martignoni, Gabrielle Jackson, and me, Laura Murphy-Oates. Okay, catch you tomorrow.